for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. For over 300 days, you have prepared for this moment. It was so awesome. The call-in, the setup, the shot, the thrill of a lifetime. After waiting almost an hour, you anxiously start your tracking job, totally expecting to find your animal piled up only yards away. Then the unthinkable happens, y'all. The blood trail ends. Look, y'all, no one wants to be in this situation, and it can be a hard subject. But when you hunt such a strong and powerful animal such as an elk, we need to talk about this, and we need to be prepared for it. Because if you do, it just might mean the difference between an incredible find or some tough days ahead. On today's show, when the blood trail ends, causes, strategies, and dealing with it all. Those topics along with our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros bell box. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillick. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, your host for your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and one of the Venezuelan mafia himself from Katy, Texas, Luis Gonzalez. And from Cimarron, New Mexico, the one, the only, our inspiration and yours, Leroy Chav Chavez. And our elk hunting coach himself playing grandpa in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the one, the only, WWJGD. What would Joe Gillia do? Son of a fuck, Gilbert, man. I'm already getting emails, bro. I told you. Gonna make a shirt, baby. Gonna make us famous, babe. Oh, my God. No, man. I was like... 
<laughs> I'll never kill another elk ever. Lord of be my. I'm looking to show you about WW, man. <laughs> and uh, don't put that on me, Ricky. <laughs> and I, man, I tell you what, we're getting all kinds of emails, man. People sending stuff in about our hundredth, and uh, uh, people awesome. that were sending in, you know. Um, People that were like, man, your brother Luis was quick to throw you under the bus with that rash, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt. I got some that. of that, too. I man, got some of that, too. They were like, they were like, dude, man, you ought to find a way to get even with him, man. And I'm like, that's not hard. I'm like, I'm not like that, man. Oh, what? Oh, I'm, I'm you like, what? I'm not oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, you were like that, man. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah, dude. Oh, uh, look down at me. I'm going to warm my legs up. I'll be yeah. Uh-huh. yeah he's <laughs> he's just he's just saving it up man wait till next right. year day one and see uh-huh. if joe's gonna put down a show that's gonna yeah, be well, i got people going they were like because uh we couldn't get uh i had trouble getting our youtube uploaded because the internet was just so slow where i was at and i didn't even get up to today i'm getting emails from guys who are like how come it ain't on YouTube? We want to see the rash. I'm like, <laughs> I said, I said, spoiler alert, man. You ain't going to see no rash, man. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I had people ask me what I was drinking last episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. My mood was excellent. I was like, yeah. Like, I told him, man, I was like, that dude's on 3-2. It don't matter. 3-2, kill him. He just, he's so young, you know. <laughs> he, he low tolerance, man. <laughs> low tolerance. Jam, how we feeling, brother? I'm feeling pretty good. Good, buddy. And this weekend? Yep. Huh? Yeah, I had a great weekend. Unbelievable weekend, weekend, huh? Yes. Yep, sure was. That's fantastic. Y'all look sharp, dapper Dan, for sure. And uh, (laughs) your daughter looked beautiful, for sure. Man, I'm I'm glad it was a big time for everybody, you know. So, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, a special weekend. Yeah, definitely was, got to walk her down the aisle joe and them did their thing even with the good bouquets of flowers that he picked for everybody oh, 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 uh, oh. i know that went over well hey look I, I got it coming i know so it'll honestly, be okay. Chad, it was it was super great to watch you uh, on those pictures walking your daughter down the aisle man um it's it's an incredible accomplishment not only for you but your entire family Heck joe yeah. it just shows the support system that you all have as a family right. what you I'm were very very blessed very blessed that and just the extreme power of prayer and there is no doubt there is a superior being in whatever you may think or say we know it to be true uh Absolutely. power and prayer right. and, there's and, power in the and healing all the, and, of the prayer. You know, we, we've done it. Uh, I hope a lot of people realize, you know, a lot of people out there that we're doing a lot of prayers and keeping us all in their thoughts. And uh, and you guys, and it's amazing. Um, it's amazing how far everything has come. And to see that this Saturday Full and to see Chav and circle. to see Lynn and, yeah. and you know, God, it just, there was a lot of emotion, a lot of cool things. And, uh, our, our family grew bigger, which was uh, way cool, man. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, we wish we could have been there, but I promise you all of us were there in prayer and in, and in spirit. Uh, I guarantee you Elk Bros showed out, and it was a, it was a good deal and a good time had by all. Yeah, Joe, absolutely. this is our 91st episode. Oh, yeah. We are only <laughs> nine away from our 100th show. Nine. Isn't there something special coming up for that? Oh yeah, uh, our listeners might want to hear about. 
Yeah, absolutely, dude. Our 100th show coming up is going to be a huge milestone for us. And guys, we want to thank you all the grinders. So remember, we said it on the last show. We're going to announce it until it happens there, until we make our selections. But we are looking for two <clears throat> listeners that want to join us, the Elk Bros, right here on our 100th episode of Blue Collar Elk Hunting. And remember, all you have to do is you have to write in to us at info at elkbros.com, I-N-F-O, you hear it every time in every podcast, at elkbros.com, and tell us two things, y'all. We want you to tell us about your journey this year as an elk hunter, and secondly, why you would want to join us on our 100th episode. Now, listen, it doesn't matter uh, if you did or didn't punch your tag this year or if your hunt is still coming up. We'll be selecting two grinders um, and out of you guys out there, and it's about your journey, whatever that journey has encompassed. I mean, if that journey just was this year or if it's been a doggone 30-year journey for you, you know, 2020 was a part of that. That was a culmination. So tell us about it, and uh, we will be selecting two of you and giving gear to other people as well that write in. Uh, we're going to select some of those, and we're going to have some special prizes. we got some things coming from some people, so I think that's going to be way cool, man. Also. Hey, I was going to say, Joe, super cool. Email's already coming in. Yeah. Coming through, and super cool mm -hmm. to reading, reading the stories and reading yeah. people's journeys and, and you know and just kind of the path that everybody has taken and it, it's just it's just neat to see uh, as as people start writing in their stories so thank you for those of you who've already submitted their their stories and there's so many stories out there and listen don't think that you're not a story man yeah. i mean yeah <laughs> uh you know there's there's so many cool things and and i i got even letters this week i'm getting all kinds of letters from people that it's not even about the hundredth episode. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just got one from uh, a gentleman out of Las Vegas, and I'm going to share that at some point in time. But man, he just talks about an experience with his son and and what that meant to him, and and we're going to share that at another point in time, when it's appropriate, maybe on that hundred show, because it got it's stuff like that, y'all. It's stuff like that that makes all of this you know yeah. just fill you up in here man and uh mm. you know i i hear from people that uh when they listen to us and i want to thank you guys for some of the cool kind things y'all say but one of the main things i hear people say guys is that you know we are who we are and and not to <laughs> lose that and i'm like you know uh, there's a reason. No idea. You know, uh, we we actually keep ourselves a little on a leash <laughs> as well, uh, you know. But uh, uh, we are who we are. I mean, each one of these personalities and all these guys are personalities. All of them are themselves, and I love them for it. And I think that's what makes our group so unique. We got a lot that comes to the table, and uh, and and. You know, a lot of times uh, we forget all the things that brought us so tight together, and some of those get revisited at times. And, you know, um, I, it's I tell the diversity you, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah, man. And, and it's the, the things that we've done. The and, and we still. Yeah, we got, we got Venezuelan leaders and members. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, it's just all, you know, all the spectrums Venezuelan of the society Latins. leadership. 
Latin rednecks. I mean, North Carolina boy. I mean, hey, we're going to cover the broad spectrum. There ain't no racist around here. I can tell you. <laughs> That's right. We love everybody equally, and we don't like people equally. Yeah. Except for Manano, but everything yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. yeah, hey, and uh, shout out to Manano, man. Uh, that yeah. Homeboy caught the COVID, and, uh, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, he's healing up. Uh, he's got some good medicine and stuff like that. We're going to try to get him on back on here real soon. I think that'd be some of his best medicine, man, right yeah, there. So. Yeah. For all our listeners, yeah. we'd love to. Your prayers. Uh, yeah. We've been praying for him. I know uh, he's going to be just fine. He's tough. But, yes. Uh, one thing, too, I got to finish up what we have before there, guys. Yeah. Also, you guys that are listening, <clears throat> included in those write-ins, if you just want, if you're interested in hearing a special topic that you'd like us to talk about on our 100th episode, we'd love to hear it from you. So just send uh, all those letters and send those topic suggestions again to info at elkbros.com. So I'm, I'm done with that section right there, man. No, all good. And, and look, guys, we love that you love our podcast and stuff. But again, if you want to check us out, really see us in action, the facial expressions, everything that we're doing, <laughs> it's really cool. Check out our YouTube channel. You'll see it on there Brain as well. Damage. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I guarantee you, Luis laid some footage down this weekend. I hope he gets it loaded up here pretty quick of him and his daughter oh, uh, doing a, a do-it-yourself hunt uh, up in up in the wilds of North Texas, man, yes, uh, around the Red River area that was, I mean, epic. I, I can't, you guys know how much it means to me to have kids involved. I grew up Absolutely. doing it, having my kids involved. So, I, you know, I, I I uh, kind of geek out on having kids involved, and his daughter was a trooper, was a trooper all weekend. I'll let him tell more about it, but, man, he's going to load that footage up, and it is straight cool, man, like yeah. the other side of the pillow. <laughs> I know. absolutely would love to share that uh, for sure on the YouTube channel. I'm going to yeah. probably try to get Joe's help on it. But, yeah, uh, we'll, yeah she, we'll make it happen. She was an incredible mom and uh, unforgettable memories, man. And I got to thank all of you for it, too, because a lot of that trip is a – is a combination of everything that I've learned and absorbed from all of you guys and me kind of passing that down to, to my daughter. So thank you all. Yeah. Congrats, oh, awesome. Sophie. We put you out on the podcast. Going to make you famous, sweetheart. <laughs> Promise. Hey, guys, I tell you what, yeah. Sophie is an assassin. So I'll, I'll just is. end it right cool there. Cool and Luke. And now you know what that is, Louise. <laughs> look it up if you don't know. Cool hand Luke, right? Yeah. Uh, guys, y'all know what time it is. Shout uh, out. Shout out. out. Shout, shout out. out. If you're new to our show, these are just a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And you know we're going to head up with those reviews we got a couple of them from apple Podcasts. we had a bunch last week and there's god there were like three more that i couldn't put on here because y'all look when you put those incredible reviews on there please give us a name first name uh, uh state something like yeah. that where i can do that because you know I, uh, our first one here uh shout out to colorado grizzly man and uh, uh <laughs> yeah where are you from colorado yeah, where are you at, <laughs> we can man? speculate but you never know you might be but, from Montana. and then we got one from joel from germantown wisconsin and we appreciate awesome. that joel man and and so i'm gonna head into the top listening cities and guys it's a first uh -oh. this right here <laughs> is an elk bros first i am for the first time going to give the same top listening city 
two weeks in a row. And oh, wow. Oh, man. And, and look, we have never done this. And guys, you guys listening, this is why we've never done this is, you know, we always want you guys to hear of all these top listeners from all these different places. So we always go down our list of top listeners and we're looking for a place new each time because, uh, you know, a lot of y'all, I mean, Dallas, Denver, you know, yeah. Chicago, I mean, these big cities and stuff just hammer it and have, and have just been super. And a lot of you guys have been super. And uh, so we always go down and we try to find who's next on the list that hasn't been given a shout out to. And guys, listen, we're over 6,000 U.S. cities, man. So there's a bunch of y'all out there doing this. So, yeah. but I, guys, I had to do it this time because whoever these listeners are in this city, you got to love their style, man. Not one, listen to this, y'all, not two, three weeks in a row, they have tripled the listens of the very top listening city, including Big D. And wow. whether you want that to be Dallas or Denver, man, sure. I, 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 <laughs> these guys are like, we want a shout out, man, because <laughs> <laughs> they have just been hammering it there. So, um, guys, we're going to take a deeper look into what makes this town tick. And, yeah, and, and I'm going to tell you, uh, we talked about them last week. We talked about some fun water stuff they had last week, but I, I kind of went back and I was like, well, I went and looked at where it was at. You know, I saw that it was north there of, of Seattle. Actually, wait a second, man. If I look at the map right, uh, yeah, it's about north of Seattle. Um, gorgeous area. They have a glacier lake that they're named after right in the middle of their town. And it has the largest, get this. No, see, <laughs> Luis, you ready for this? I want you to explain this one to me, bro. Because I, I had no clue what this meant. I mean, it said that they had the largest erat erratic in Washington. Now, I've been told I'm erratic, <laughs> right? So, so I was like, it got some big dude that's just off the wall or something. Over yeah. there. But it's no. like not very consistent. <laughs> no. <laughs> so an erratic, um, it's also called the Lake Stevens Monster. It is a giant rock that is considered the largest erratic in Washington. And erratic has to do, it's basically a stone of, of some type that's not of the area that was brought in from a long distance from a glacier. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. That's cool. And they, That's this, cool. they have, they have the largest one here. It measures 34 feet tall, 78 feet in length and has a circumference of 210 feet. Oh, wow. wow. That's big. So this was no pebble dropped by, this glacier right mm -mm. so it's like a meteorite yeah, yeah. pretty cool <laughs> and, yeah, and it dug up the lake <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it actually did. it's actually setting up on the side of the lake in the residential area so it was deposited on land you know when everything started to come out of there so wow. yeah pretty doggone cool and and there was one other thing i found out that was kind of cool before he became a superhero this Lake Stevens native was better known, and Chav, I bet Chav can tell me, was as Goofy Andy in Parks and Recreation. Anybody remember that show, or you guys see that mm. one? So 
He's also he was also on Guardians of the Galaxy, the main dude there. Our guy Chris Pratt grew up here, and his dad was a home remodeler, and his mom worked right there at the local Safeway. Chris Pratt in oh, cool. Lake Stevens, Washington. Yeah, Lake yeah. Stevens, man. You Triple guys keep their <clears throat> listeners. Look, I need some letters from some of y'all in Lake Stevens. Tell me who in the heck is doing this and what's behind it and how we have so many people hammering our download from Lake Stevens. I, I just got to know the story man. behind it. That's, That's very fantastic. cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I, must have driven, I must have driven uh, by Lake Stevens probably twice in back in 90, 96 and 97, man. Very oh, cool. cool. That awesome, is man. Cool. Well, uh, Luis, you're up next. Uh, my brother that threw me under the rash bus. Go ahead, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, have, 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 have fun with this one. Um, this town is known for its pr prodigious revolutionary war history and is the location of Strategic King's ferry between Stony Point and Verplank Point. This is where General George Washington's army crossed the Hudson on his knackered and weary march to the Battle of Yorktown. John Trumbull's celebrated and renowned full-length oil painting depicts the crossing at Verplank's Point. Other points of interest include Bear Mountain State Park, Peaksville Landing Park, and New Croton Dam. And this is Cortland Manor, New York. Cortland Manor, New York in the house. <laughs> so, so uh, I, 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 I'm proud of you, bro. I'm proud Dude, of you, man. Because nailed I, that. I, I want you to know I added about 12 no. different words that weren't I know. in there. I know. I know. <laughs> Made sense. I could I could see you. You were like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get him." And the worst thing is, my daughter just came in through the door and she wanted to say good night at the moment I was starting to read. And so I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? I need to get this straight." So, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of our brothers from Colorado, he said. Uh, God dang, Luis threw you under the bus, Joe. You should have given him the toughest one to say last week. <laughs> I was like, that'd be a good idea this week, man. <laughs> yeah. Shit, Joe, that happens every week. Hey, not intentionally. I told him, bro, we do that every week. Not intentionally. Hey, Joe. Hey. I was going to say, that rash was probably karma for all the ones that you've already made me read. <laughs> oh, yeah. my Lord. And you and I have stories about karma. Read. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. TBD. <laughs> all right, Chavez. Okay, this is one of our international cities. This small hamlet in southern Alberta, Canada, is located 32 kilometers northeast of downtown Calgary. A local farmer donated a large parcel of land to the Grand Turk Pacific Railroad with a provision that he could name the town. He named the town after his daughter, but the sign maker misspelled the name, exchanging the letters Y and R. Big shout out to our northern neighbors in Catherine, Alberta, Canada. So is that Catherine now, or is that, you know Catherine. what I'm saying? Catherine. Catherine? Because yeah, they reversed the Y and the R. Yeah, I've seen it both ways and pronounced the same, but. Uh, yeah. 
and mm-hmm. and I gotta tell you guys, um, the I mean Lake Stevens was our top overall, you know. But if we had gone to new communities, new cities, Cortland Manor, New York would have been uh, the top one. So I want to give them a oh, big yeah over there as well. And that Absolutely. meant that uh, Catherine was second up in in that category as well. So very way cool, cool, y'all. Our neighbors to the north. Our neighbors, man. Thank you. Y'all. Bet you. Next up, located in the eastern side of Oregon's Cascade Range, in the high desert in central Oregon, this is the site of Roberts Field, formerly of World War II era in the Redmond Army Air Force Base, and is currently now a commercial airport that serves three counties in central Oregon. The town was founded in 1904 by pioneers Frank and Josephine Redmond, that settled in that area. None other than Redmond, Oregon. Redmond, Oregon, Oregon. I, I, I'd like to see how many weeks Oregon has Oregon been in this up. list, man. <clears throat> a lot of, no doubt. A lot of ducks. <laughs> Love that state, man. I got personal relationship with that state and, and, and great history there and incredible people and, yep. and family there as well so yeah because chav said the ducks and i think yours was a lot of ducks, ducks and beavers what? huh a lot of ducks and, and beavers over there. yes sir ducks and oregon, beavers, ducks yeah. and oregon state beavers that's right yeah, there you go mm-hmm. but so where and what was know. the what was the university you went to in oregon bud I didn't go to university there. Oh, I went it to was high West school. Virginia, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I went oh, to okay. high school uh, in Oregon City. All right. He yeah. went to the Mountaineers uh, in West Virginia. Yeah. yeah. There we go. By God, West Virginia. <laughs> the high school was Oregon City High School. That's where I went. Oh, awesome. Oh, cool, as, an, as an exchange student. It was, uh, it's a, it's they got a the raw end of that deal, man. <laughs> sure did. They were like, they were like, we want our exchange back, man. I tell you what, man, incredible people, and they changed my life, you know, in a, in a, in a positive way. So awesome. I bet you changed um, so, theirs too. Yeah. Well, no doubt. Uh, I probably got more out of it, honestly. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like Joe said, it's a bad deal for them. <laughs> so. Okay, the next city. This city is known as the Gateway to Scenic Southern Indiana. It was established in 1818 by a group of settlers from Kentucky, Tennessee, the Carolinas, and Virginia. The city, home of the University of Indiana, was named for its Haven of Blooms, and it's dotted with tulips and dogwoods. A local attraction called the Empire, Empire Quarry provided the stone to erect the Empire State Building. Wow. Bloomington, Indiana. Bloomington, Man, Indiana. Yeah. Wow, Bloomington. I think that they got the. All the you know, marble the, and everything. The to quarry it. was all, the, yeah, from there. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, all yeah, the way from, because I know that there's a ton of uh, quarries up there in Mass as well, but they, they got mm-hmm. that. Some of that all the way from Bloomington, India. That's way cool, man. Hey, yeah, guys, I mean, all you towns, thank there, you. So. What's that, Gilbert? There's a bunch of rock quarries down there. I mean, in Georgia, I mean, you know, the, the chapel in Utah, the uh, Mormon's Tabernacle, mm-hmm. it was built all out of Georgian marble. So they, wow. they hauled all that marble from Georgia all the way to Salt Lake City. Oh, that's um, crazy. Yeah. And so, I mean, they did a lot of that back then. Like those guys hauled all that stuff from Bloomington to 
to yeah, New York City, that's pretty bad, bad to the bone. So tonight's topic, um, when the blood runs out, and the reason that, that I, I brought this topic up tonight is that in the last three weeks, I have talked to several people, friends, um, colleagues, different people that, and, and it actually happened with myself, with the, with the hunter that I had, that, you know, uh, it's, it's the one thing, and I think all you guys, like Gilbert, after your shot, Luis, after your shot, how many times after you take a shot do you kind of question yourself just a little bit? Oh, my God. Like, I did. You know. Yeah. I knew my shot was a little high. Yeah. That, yeah, that, me too. I'm, yeah. But so I was, was shooting from down up above him, so I knew that that was – you know, when we heard him, I mean, mm -hmm. when we heard him crash, I knew it was in the right place. Yeah, <laughs> it just, absolutely. You're shooting <laughs> long distance, your arrow's going to look high all the time because of the trajectory, you know. But Point is, many, it's common. But how many times, too, do a lot of guys, man, I mean, they feel like they have absolutely nailed the shot and they do everything. I mean, they're, they're doing their wait time. And let me tell you what, that is sometimes the hardest thing to do is to sit there and wait before you go and start doing your tracking job. Um, it's I, incredibly important because I tell you what. Very important. And, and we're going to bring that back up when we get to reasons or some of the causes here in a few minutes. Yeah. But, I mean, you get out there and then you have a good – blood trail you follow it for about 100 yards and then nothing and your doggone heart falls man and then you know that all of those doubts start coming in all the questions start coming in so guys we know a bunch of you guys out there there's a bunch of you that have felt this and it's not that we want to hash over what you have felt we don't want to hash over what necessarily what we have felt what we want to do is we want to prepare people for when this does happen because if you hunt these animals, they are big, they are strong, they are survivors. And That's I, an I statement. yeah, do you, I don't want to say it's going to happen. Unbelievable um, athletes. But there's, you know, if you hunt for a lot of years, either it's going to happen to you or you're going to know somebody that it happens to. And and then to know what to do when that does happen can really sometimes mean the difference. And sometimes, you, you know, you got to take some steps back. You got to collect yourself and you got to, it's kind of like, to me, guys, it's kind of like how guys hunt elk just looking for bugles, right? And there's other ways, there's other methods to get those opportunities. Well, we want a blood trail. That's why we preach what? Two holes, right? Two holes. Absolutely. That's why we preach two holes. We want, we want as much of an opportunity for a blood trail as possible. Um, but if things crap happens, and if it happens that that does um, run out, there are alternate methods, and there's things that you can do. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. I mean, that blood trail is like it's just what it is. It's kind of like somebody you know, uh, dropping breadcrumbs, taking you mm -hmm. to it, right? But Finding needles and haystacks, getting down on your hands and knees. I mean, oh, man. It's hard at times, super and, hard. And, and sometimes, you know, I can remember when uh, Chav and I, before we ever started hunting elk, when we were hunting deer, you know, <clears throat> Chav shot a, a, a real nice buck one time. And that doggone buck, 
man uh went to a spot we found a puddle of blood we found some mucus mixed in with it <clears throat> and that was it no more you remember how that felt chad that time yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah every time i i shoot one uh, i celebrate on sight a little bit but with the idea that well until i see it i'm not going to really celebrate a whole lot mm-hmm. and it's really tough when you shoot one uh close to uh, nightfall because you got to wait a couple of hours and, and eat. if it's really cold i guess you wait all night depending on where you think you hit it but uh until you see the body there you know it's uh you worry a little bit because you never know what's going to happen there's a lot of factors involved yeah so yeah and that only means that you've been through that before oh oh yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> my first bull had to let him lay overnight i mean that was rough man my rough rough yeah you know. yeah but we knew that was a dead bull <clears throat> and for sure you, and, we, we sure as heck hoped it was going to be yeah you know? and and i'll tell you well, well, we I did think, the right thing. Absolutely. And, I, and I, you know, we're going to talk about the causes sometimes of why the reasons a blood trail goes bad. And I will tell you that I think sometimes one of the number one reasons that a blood trail goes bad is because guys get up and jump on an animal too soon. And, 100%. That is the number one root cause in bad blood trails. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, the Venezuelan boys have hunted with me for a long time, and they'll talk about a rule that I have, and they call it the rule of Beto. And, man, I'm telling you, Chad was with me when I killed my biggest bull ever. I watched that bull fall down. How long did we wait before we walked over there, Chad? <laughs> oh, we did a good 45 to an hour, you know. Exactly. I'm, I'm not going to – if I don't know that that animal went down, I'm not – it's two hours, man. Hours. I mean – most of it's two hours, hour and a half to two hours. Now, I may go over there and look for my arrow and see right. what kind of hit I'm To get some right. information, right? Yeah, but even that, you know, I've shot bulls, and they've gone down within 20 yards, Joe. Sure. And right. if you hit one and make him sick, and he goes down within 20 yards, and it's thick where you're hunting, right. you go look for your arrow, he's going to get up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, when, he, and when you get him up, he's going to go. And that's some intelligence right there. I mean, if you saw that animal, you know, go down or, or, or lay down close by or something like that, you just need to set off, man. You just need to stay off of that. If you saw that animal and you could see that last point was at a certain point, you know, several hundred yards away or a hundred yards away, you know, you just got to be real smart about that. And there's so much on that that you need to, and, and we talk about this in our academy about how after you take a shot you're not done some guys will see an arrow go in and they start celebrating but you're not done you have to watch that animal you have to see how it reacted you want to look for evidence of how the arrow is in that animal you want to see how that animal was posturing what pace it is taking the last place that it went there's so much information that you can get during those few seconds that will tell you a lot of information. Was that arrow back? Um, Did that animal, you know, did the head go down and start walking sick? Was that animal stumbling? You know, there's just like so much there. And then, you know, it's so critical. It's like Luis was talking before the show about the two things. You got to either find blood or find your arrow, right? Because really critical pieces of the pie. Because that gives you information, man. You bet. You know? Um, the type if I don't of, find an arrow, it's either any or it, it isn't. Right. And so we, Yo, uh, I, I, we've got one of the, 
Go ahead, Gilbert. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, we got to assume we've got to hit both. We can't find the arrow. You right, know, absolutely. so you gotta you gotta do due diligence and giving the animal time. And look, guys, our bows are extremely fast nowadays, but most of you guys are shooting luminox. So y'all see where the arrow is going to go. I'm still old school, man. I don't shoot the Luminoc 90% of the time. I don't get my arrow back anyway. So that's just another $10 I'm wasting. But at the end of the day, a lot of our guys shoot Luminox. So you're going to see where the arrow is going. Right. You know? uh, and if you, it happened to Luis this year and he knew that he made a marginal shot or felt he did anyway so he knew that the extended time needed to be extended right that it, it, he felt like it was forward and he felt like it was a little high so uh it, it's just about putting that time in too and understanding that if you didn't watch that animal fall in sight and he's drt he's dead right there and mm -hmm. you better give him an hour and a half before you ever go into his world and get him up. Because I'm going to tell you, these animals with one lung and their liver lacerated can run a mile before Absolutely. they get down again. Yep. You know, Joe? I mean, they are just that strong a competitor. Uh, when they are scared and, and they are running for their lives, they can cover some country that you and I can't transverse. No, and, and, and I have seen an animal frontal bleeding like crazy go down to the bottom of a drainage and run up over 400 yards on the other side run up over 400 yards now people say that a, a wounded elk will not run up a hill i'm well, sorry right. but they will now <laughs> especially up if and down and back up yeah especially <laughs> if they're hard hit you know yeah. and if if they're scared or if they're boogered now once they're relaxed and and they're not feeling good they're going to they try to they're going to try to take the the root of least resistance you know or if they're not boogered in the first place you know if you if you bugle out or you cow call and get that animal to settle down and then you know think that okay or i'm okay and then starts feeling sick then they're going to generally try to walk to an area where they're at but if you do not think they can go up hill you're you're dead wrong with that it's a big strong animal yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about, okay, after the shot, you you think you might have made a good shot, and you go find your arrow after you've sat for an hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. You go find your arrow, and then what do you find? Well, I find real dark red blood. Right. That tells you we need to extend our wait time another Absolutely. couple hours. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you find real pink red frothy blood all over your arrow start and, start celebrating yeah man y'all better start doing the victory dance crack open the flask have a drink and sit there another hour and get you some granola and wait on your bull to go get him and, and put your hands on him but i'm still with chav though i'm still going to hold my cool until i see that animal. <laughs> yeah. I, it, there is telling telling signs in that blood that dark red blood tells you it's it's uh, yeah. superficial muscle tissue could be liver uh, right. and he's going to need some more time joe absolutely and and, and that's where you got to know 
you've got to know where your placement was and the placement of that animal. If that animal's broadside and you hit him back, but I mean, we're talking our mid body, but now we're hitting him back uh, another eight inches back from where we want to, you know, that's an animal that's possibly going to be get a part of that liver, depending on how high it was. And it's going to get that punch, man. And that animal is going to need anywhere. I mean, look, I, I had a hunter that this year that shot an animal in the pocket now and 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 i'm just telling you listen y'all you can do everything right totally right and and things can go south on you this this guy thought he had just i mean he was really questioning his own shot after but he had hit it right in the pocket and how this arrow ends up hitting a bone and deflecting back so that it only gets one lung and punch this animal lived for about 36 hours, you know? And Unbelievable uh, that y'all found him, Joe. I'm just so proud of you. Like I said, this guy is a freaking bulldog, you know? I mean, he was not going to be denied. Joe dogged that bull and kept rolling on him until they found him. I'm, I'm so proud of that, Joe. Yeah, but but just it was a testament to this. you know? I mean, it was, it, yeah. was, it was good we found him because it, it helped – it helped my buddy be at rest with his shot, you know. I mean, here he was. Do you think y'all bumped him or when y'all went to go look for him, Joe? Well, you know. Do you think y'all bumped him and got him up? I don't know, man. I mean, I saw him sick, and I and I had spotted him, and, and I backed out because I just wanted him to lay there. I don't know what. You never know what could have happened that got him up, you know. But coyote or a bear could have got him yeah, up. Yeah, he gets up and walks, and uh Mm-hmm. And he ends up about 700 yards from that location, man. Freaking Walking, I mean, he just walked a nice, and and for an elk to go 700 yards, don't take very long. Oh I mean, no, especially in flat area like that, you know. So <laughs> yeah, cover a lot of ground quick. Yeah. <sighs> now, Joe, uh, there is a, I got I get a couple of instances where we had situations like that. You know, mm-hmm. I do recall a couple of years back when you shot your 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 bull we were through the squeaky forest mm-hmm. and um you know it was a perfect situation we had the wind in our face the sun in our backs and mm-hmm. sure no manano spotted an elk that was coming towards us you started calling to it and it uh, it gave you an opportunity to shoot it brought you know slightly right. quartering towards actually i think right. and Not after much. the shot you weren't you weren't too happy of your shot placement you knew you hit him it, was, it sounded like a good hit, but you were still kind of doubtful of the shot. And I, I recall us recovering that error right there. Good blood, but we still decided to kind of sit down and wait for a little bit. Sure. You know, little did we know by the moment we were putting our backs backpacks down. He was dead. It was, there was this bear coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so Manano and I get to shoot this bear. and uh-huh. uh, But the moment that the commotion is taking place with the bear. Manano spotted that bull that was bedded already, not feeling very good, very close to us. Right. He gets up and runs further away. Because the bear actually jumps him up. Yeah. 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 So a bear jumps him up. He gets up and runs another, I don't know, 50 yards or so. I I don't even think it was that, bro. I bet that bull didn't go even less yards. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, point being is, it's so easy to to jump them right and if not sure. they're not 
really mortally wounded like this one was, right. they're going to be sick for a little bit and, and, and they can get up and run long ways. I mean, we have my bull from several years ago and we right. also have the example of Manano's bull this year that something mm -hmm. similar like that happened. I mean, when you jump an animal, mm -hmm. um, you know, things can get complicated quick. Absolutely. And, and so that's why I'm saying for you guys that are listening probably and i'm saying the number one reason most people end up on a blood trail that goes bad is because they jump an animal because what happens is is when that animal sets they're going to do a number of things if they can reach it they're going to pull the arrow out if they can mm -hmm. um depending on where that arrow went in whether it's a pass through and most likely if that arrow's still in them and they're able to pull it out it's only just one side and if it's in an area now where that skin can flap over and they bleed internally or, or it's a, a punch shot where it goes in and the internals of that will end up blocking that and you're not going to get a whole lot of blood out of that anyway and it, even if it is an area like uh, Luis hit an animal years ago that is bleeding like crazy these animals will yeah, lick it they will put the yeah. they will rub down in the dirt and they will clot it up and uh, and then they'll start going from there and you'll you'll have an animal that had perfect blood in the bed and all that area up to there and then there's nothing because They've basically put almost like Carter a gauze pad on yeah. on their wing. I, I remember tracking this bull. There's Joe, coagulant in their saliva. Mm -hmm. And he, he would get on his knees to try to get the shoulder blades to kind of, you know, close that wound. And yep. every time he would get on his knees, we'll see less and less blood from Absolutely. that point forward. Yeah. And, uh, man, we tracked that bull for uh, 12 hours. Yeah, I mean it was, and and it went to you know and a half it, miles. It went to pin, you know, pin, pin, pin drops, pin size, yeah, pin drops there, man. And mm -hmm. so, but that's what I want to tell you guys, man. It's critical. You get that information. I would rather find an animal stiff mm -hmm. than I'll not find it. Find yeah. it. Yeah. Right. So, um, I I had an inc instance where uh, a buddy of mine shot one. He felt like he hit it a little back. I knew it was, you know, a good hit. I found dark dark blood where he hit. I know that that's liver. You know, we wait instead of going in it before we even start tracking. We waited six hours. Now that animal went up on top of the hill, a hill that was probably about 30 yards up and was only 50 yards from the top of that hill where he died because he felt sick, went laid down, got stiff and died. Now, had we gone up there a half hour later, one hour later, uh, or right away, we'd have jumped that guy f for sure. He'd have run and, out of the country. Yeah, and would have had a, had a real difficult time. So, um, so you know, Joe, if 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 we were to if we were to kind of summarize some of these what we've talked about so far right would it be fair to say hey look listen you know you take a shot you really kind of have to keep a, a an eye on where the shot placement was if you have aids anything that can aid you like beto said um luminoc right right or if you if you recorded the shot Video. take your time to take a look at where the shot went where you hit sure. the animal before you even do anything right then get additional information grab look is if if the arrow is in a place where you can you feel safe about going to get the arrow without spooking Correct. an animal that might be bedded close to the animal. If it's, if you know the animal bedded close to you, do not go for the arrow. Just simply back off. sit still and back off. Mm -hmm. 
and then again look at your footage do whatever you need to do wait uh, long enough but at least like Beto saying wait two hours but if you feel like the shot was marginal give yourself at least six, six hours is that correct six to eight man yeah, yeah six and at least six hours shot or back you know? and, I, and because, i'm telling you now, if you shoot a shot back if you punch 12. shoot an animal that's a 12 hour 12. wait man Maybe right. 12 hours and i mean it just and you're liable to find them still sick you know so yeah i mean they, uh, they get a, a, a a condition called peritonitis mm -hmm. and uh it's actually yeah. yeah it gets mm -hmm. in their blood and uh it, it's it's not pleasant for the animal they're gonna die like joe said uh it can take from 12 to 20 hours uh look i you know i killed my first bull i shot him at 48 yards i got part of one lung and i got all the liver and the good stuff behind it mm -hmm. and uh <clears throat> and i put another arrow in that bull uh broke his right front femur and shot him through the bottom of the brisket. Uh, I mean, that air, that bull was sick from the get go. You can ask Joe, I shot that bull again at 90 yards just cause we've been practicing and, and I felt like I could hit him. He was broadside standing in the middle of a park and uh, he was- Well, and, and we're trying to get another arrow in him. It's not For like sure, that was our we original we'd, shot. We'd, right? we'd, yeah, we knew yeah. we shot him a little back and yeah. uh, he was a little quarter into us when I shot him. Um, so, I mean, the bull actually went into an area that we had to wait. And uh, there was no way that if we go in there and we push him, we'll never find him. Right. So Joe was very astute. He said, listen, Gilbert, that bull's sick, really bad sick. He said, let's just go back to camp and wait. That's a dead bull. And I'm so glad I listened. Look, when we, when we got up on that bull the next morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, I shot him probably about 6.45 that evening. And uh, when we got on him at 7.30 the next morning, that bull wasn't even stiff, yeah. right? So, no. I mean. He had, it, he'd only died probably a half hour before, if that. Yeah, know. man. Yeah. So, well, that was 12 hours, you know. Something, but so, there's, something before, I, before, you, before you get there, I, Luis, I, I want everybody to understand, though, sometimes, though, there's mitigating circumstances that don't allow you to wait either. <laughs> I mean, you have yeah. a rainstorm Rain. coming in. Yeah. Um, you hear, Chav, remember your bull that, uh, I mean, coyotes, coyotes jumped it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah that very was, true. You know, you talk about the, the, the perfect shot, you know, 15-yard uh, double lung, the arrow drops on the other side. Uh, the blood trails, like uh, somebody's pouring a, some paint down a trail, but uh, unfortunately it was uh, about a half hour before dark. So, you know, we let him be for a little bit and came back about, I think, two hours later, huh? Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, we find a big round spot of, of, of blood and then nothing at all, nothing at all. And it, it turned out there was another kill in the area that was gut shot, another elk, probably, what, within 100 yards yeah, of it? absolutely. And anyway, that it was half eaten up, so... Uh, after that bull lay down, uh, a bear or a pack of coyotes caught the scent of, you know, jumped him and he just took off. You know, he had enough adrenaline, you know, he lost a lot of blood, had enough adrenaline to just sprint away and left not wow. a trace of anything. And we had five guys on their hands and knees looking for, you know, pin drops and never saw it so you know yeah sometimes that happened yeah there's sometimes there's crap happens and yeah. and that's what i want to tell everybody is you know you can do everything right 
and uh, and sometimes things go south. So understand that, Luis. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but no, we- no. I I think I was that was a, an excellent an excellent point. I mean, sometimes you do everything you can, but you know, nature just takes over and and does whatever it wants to do. Uh, but no, what I wanted to say is like I think you guys touched on something that was super important. You guys said, you know, some people take the shot and see the, the arrow hit the animal and then they start celebrating and think the hunt is over, mm-hmm. but far from it, right? But I, I have footage of Manano shooting a hog and um, I watched him how right after the shot, he, he takes a shot, he doesn't even blink and he turns the, the, the bow to his side and his eyes are laser focused on right. where that arrow went, where the animal went. And he just followed that animal. And he just, he's really good at keeping his target on site, uh, even after the shot and marking the woods of where he last saw it and, and right. hearing. And just like, he stays in the shot even after the shot. That's, I think that is so important. That's the point I was trying to make and the point I yeah. make in the academy that after you hit an animal, you are not done. Mm-hmm. It's not time to celebrate. There's still so much more information you need to gather because you've made the shot. Now it's about the recovery. And right. you, you need to stay in the game. You need to stay in the game. And not only that, uh, okay, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is firearms. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our base camp elk hunting training camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding.
because firearms are included in this too. And, and when I right. talk about sometimes the reasons that a trail goes bad is sometimes with a firearm, you can't find the trail, you know, um, because either uh, the location from the distance and, and you're all by yourself and you're not, like you said, you're not good at marking that mentally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you have a hard time finding where that animal went in once you get, because I got news for you. You look at an area through a scope or through binos. It's when you different. get there, it looks totally different different oh yeah totally. even even without the scope or the binos even if you're bow hunting sure I mean, if you're just going 50 60 yards it still looks very different when you get there it's like man was this where i was at oh was absolutely. this where the animal was at so another point is you know what you do joe right i mean you stay here this is where i shot yeah. it right i'm gonna go there and mm -hmm. you kind of help me you know mm -hmm. walk me through to where i you know if the shot if you ranged an animal your rangefinder right. becomes your best friend now no because doubt. you can put that person there and you can range that person to be almost the exact same distance, whether it's a rifle or whether it's archery, that that right. helps. If you're solo, it's real difficult. Mm -hmm. If you're solo, you're going to have to rib in an area where you were from and you're going to have to look at your rangefinder going down there and you're going to have to, hopefully your ribbon is by a tree. Okay, some that you can look back and that you can range from where you're at and you're going to look at where you're going. You're going to mark something and you're going to walk directly to that thing, man. And you're going to get there and you can turn around and range back if you're solo, because I, I think one of the biggest reasons, again, for a rifle hunter not recovering an animal is because of that distance or their memory because they're by themselves or you know, not being able to place where that animal truly was in there. Or I can tell you, I've seen this on muzzleloader, they can get no exit wound or they can get poor penetration too, man, because yeah, I have found bullets in under the skin and neck. I found them in spines. You know, I mean, that stuff happens. Look, I've, my first my first bull I ever called in for a guy muzzleloader hunting, I'm telling you right now, it took five 50 caliber slugs to kill that bull within a can up, i mean i mean within yeah, that much right within that much of in the show i mean he shot him right in the middle of the shoulder all five times and every time he shot that bull four times in a row it knocked him clean off his feet and he got back up joe and I, you know how hard it is to load a muzzle loader five times bro? <laughs> it gets dirty on the first one and getting that sabot down in there we were both on the dadgum ramrod okay getting it down in there and uh i told him i said there's no way we're getting a sixth round in this rascal man you know it just yeah. I, i've got speed loaders i keep like four speed five speed loaders in my pocket and we were we went through every one of them and on the fifth shot he shot him frontal coming down a hill back towards us he shot him frontal end of story but that bull took four in the shoulder knocked him clean off his feet and i know it got lungs every time but they are so tough joe right i mean that's a 50 caliber muzzle loader and we're shooting even 130 i think the furthest shot we made was 134 yards the first one was at 113 and i dog piled him and i mean we're celebrating oh heck no it ain't near over I mean, it was uh, it was crazy, Joe, an unbelievable uh, display of how incredibly tough those animals are. Once that adrenaline starts flowing, I mean that that's a that's an incredible drug, drug. in that animal, man. I mm -hmm. mean, 
It, and we uh, weren't shooting cheap stuff. We're shooting Barnes TTSXs. I mean, it's the best bullet money can buy, yeah. you know, as far as projectile. Yeah. It was uh, it was something that opened my eyes real quick to, man, there's a better place to, sh better spot to shoot these animals. You if know? if I, I, I recommend for a rifle hunter, you want to heart shot that booger if possible, that lower third. And the yeah. reason I say the lower third is if you are high, you're punching lung. If you're low, you're missing that animal. So, yeah. you know, that's just kind of how I am with, with the guy. I like that Joe, idea. something else I like to do is um, when, I, when I take a shot, uh, especially if I'm spotting and stalking, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I, I say this because when I go public land, um, I like to mark the location from where I took the shot. Yeah, and then absolutely. I liked, and then I like, and that's that's where I use my phone. I mark the location where I took the shot, and then I mark the location of where the animal was standing. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, if you have somebody else, something else that helps. Once you get to the tracking mode, mm -hmm. um, you know, carry a little uh, reflective tape with you. Sure. And then start marking Always, uh -huh. because it's going to be. Uh, one of the things I like to do is have the person that is with me, if I'm with somebody, to stay on the last blood. And then I, I keep going. And if you have that reflective tape kind of on every place where you've seen blood, it kind of gives you a line, a path, and, and it just helps you do a little um, and if, if you're the person there. on the blood, if you will, if you'll use your GPS, your base map, and you turn on the tracking yes. mode, yeah. it'll give you a line. It'll give you a line sure. of how that animal's going. That'll really help you out there. So let's and, go and to that. Let's, let's, okay, cool. Let's go yeah. to the strategies of what to do when the bloods run out. I mean, because that's what we want to do. We want to give people some tools there. And and I tell you, I think one of the things that I saw with with my hunter when it came when we had a bull that uh you know we knew was in the area um what he you know he just kind of looked at the area and said man it's a big area well it is big but elk are not going to go into just he's not going to go into the middle of a, of a park or a field unless well, he's going anyway to, unless he's going to die right What's yeah that? you'd see him you'd see him anyway if he's yeah, in the middle of right, a field you know right so I mean you gotta you gotta think about where where elk want to bed when they're sick, when they're not feeling good, is the same thing as as when they want to bed. They're looking for um they're looking for uh that shade, they're looking for that cover, they're looking for that security. They want to be able to see something, especially if it's not a good hit. They wanna see if anything is coming on their back trail. So they're going to get in the same type of areas that they bed in with deadfall, or they're going to get inside uh, trees that, that they're shaded and stuff. So think about that. And when, when I am tracking an animal that we've lost and I am going on the same path that that animal did, if there's not blood, well, there can be track, there can be broken sticks, there can be turned leaves. Now, yes. if there's a crap load of track in there from a herd or something, you, it, that really becomes hard. Yeah, but if, if, if I can follow some of that track and I can see any kind of sign of blood because of that, or I can get and know what that track looks like, um, now I'm in a little bit better situation. Yeah. And what I do is I start to follow that animal's line. And, and you want to feel like that animal. 
What are you looking to do? Um, what are you walking away from? What line are you walking? You're not. Where, where is good? Where is good cover? Where Where right. do you want to hide? Where, what's the, the closest place to hide? Where's the trail the of, of least yeah. resistance? Right. Yeah. Okay. The path of least resistance there. So, my, my bull this year is a perfect example for everything that you're actually talking right now. I think. Mm -hmm. You know, one of, one of the things, again, after staying after the shot, understanding the shot placement, knowing where you hit. And then also I heard, I stayed quiet and heard that bull running down the hill and running out on the pasture. And I knew that bull had run far away. So mm -hmm. when we got down there, we were looking for, for blood and then we got in the open pasture and then we started doing exactly what you're saying. We started looking for tracks. We started looking for, okay, which direction was this bull going? Where, where's, where was the herd moving? And then once we got in the open pasture and you kind of lost track and stuff like that after waiting six hours because of access restrictions, what tipped us off and i guess this is this leads right Perfect. next to your next point the birds it, it, right it does but let me tell you the first thing that we were doing was we knew that he was going to go from the open park into the trees right the trees so, correct so you're looking for the path of least, yeah. least resistance any trail going into that right nice. so right. that's the first thing i'm kind of looking at and uh and yeah so what luis is saying that is that Here's the methods that, that, that we do is you've got to know kind of where to look. And you think about if you haven't boogered this animal, how, how sick are they? How far are they going to want to go before they bed? And if you stayed off of them, that's really something for you to think about. Because I tell you what, man, those animals do not want to keep walking when they're sick. They're mm -hmm. wanting to find something so that they can get down. If they get feverish, if they really get sick, they might start heading to some water. They don't do that immediately. That takes while for that to happen but um and and i'll tell you this too if you've lost blood and looking for an animal and you're going to use some of these methods that we're talking about don't quit looking for blood because no. you know we we have lost blood on an animal and found that blood six yeah. hours later on yeah. a different point that led us to tracking and finding an animal so coagulated and then open up open right. back up and then absolutely start spilling man out. yep absolutely so some of the methods that you can use if you if you uh have lost that blood and you have lost the track and you don't have any idea well we start doing some gridding now it used to be old school gridding was something where a person would start to kind of go out and just keep going out further and keep going out further further well in terrain you can do that and you got to really be good at gridding to do a good job but what we do today is we use our base map gps system we turn on tracking and then what we're looking for is now we're gridding by going through areas that that bull most likely has bedded down we can exclude certain things in certain open areas and so we want to kind of we work near to far so we're working an area near within let's say we'll say maybe a 200 yard range and then we're going to ex we're going to expand to a 400 yard and then maybe to a half mile so what you're doing is you can see areas that you have covered on that map that you've covered within 10 feet of yourself yeah. you know and or you haven't covered 
Yeah. yeah. Or which is exactly which is so what you which is so easy to not cover some areas because normally you walk through kind of the, the less resistance paths <laughs> and then you know until you actually see it on your GPS and you right. see where you've yeah. been you don't know exactly where you haven't been. So Yeah, and and I'll tell you what what led me to find that bull was I once we had checked to 400 yards and I knew he had to be within a half mile dead on that last day before we headed in i was heading to an area that i had not been through and and that's when i caught the whiff of the bull man inside mm -hmm. there so um i mean it was three days and man uh, i think two days we put on 20 miles looking for that yeah. thing so wow. um but so that gps is your best friend that tracking tool is your best friend at that and then there's some other natural friends and it doesn't mean that the animal is rotten man and luis your animal is perfect example yeah, perfect. of that yeah buzzards crows and magpies will get on an animal it's within within and an the hour, hour i know that it's animal unbelievable dies. Yeah, unbelievable how quickly they get to to that to the to that animal. It's just they it blew my mind. They they, they say a, a buzzard can smell that molecule that comes off of a dead animal a mile up in the air. Yeah, it's crazy. Imagine it's, it's that, like, man. It's like yeah. a hog. A hog can smell a grub three feet deep in the earth. Yeah, I mean, come on, man, that's crazy. Yeah, and look, that's that's what kind of led us to my bull this year. It's it just that those birds, um, and I remember Joe saying over the radios, "Was like, hey, we got we got buzzards. Your 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 bull is dead." dead. Yeah. And uh, so we kept on looking, and we eventually found it. Those buzzards tipped us off. Absolutely, sure. you know, it tipped us off breeze. to the area, but you were already headed in that direction. Yeah, right? right. Yeah, going and looking for the 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 paths of least resistance. They just really confirmed that we were on the right track there. So. Uh, yeah, those right. buzzards and the way the wind was blowing, we knew mm -hmm. that the way that they kept circling on that backside, that that animal had to be there. Mm -hmm. So, and, yeah. and, you know, you don't have to depend on buzzards. You can use your nose. Chav, but do you remember definitely. that one bull that was up on top of the hill that I shot late in the hunt? And we kept circling the top of that one hill because we kept smelling the bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Use your own uh, nostrils. <laughs> yeah, because it's very distinct when you smell it, and you never know about the thermals. You know, if there's a slight wind, it might change it a little bit, but you can walk around in circles, like Joe said, and, and narrow it down, pinpoint where it's coming from, and, uh, you know, you let your nose lead you to it. And I had, this bull had actually gone and laid down in a bunch of um, uh, a deadfall. Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot of trees over top. It was like on the top of a hill, you know, a whole bunch of deadfall there. It had laid in basically to hide inside there. And I had nicked part of the paunch on this animal as well. Mm -hmm. And, man, we're walking, and we're walking on that hill, and I can smell that bull, and I can smell paunch. And I knew that bull, the winds were crazy, how they were going, the thermals were a little different. We just kept circling. And finally, I came up, and I saw that animal still alive, hiding inside, inside there, and was able to dispatch yeah. it with another arrow. And just to clarify, Joe, when we're saying use your nose, it could be both you smell elk or right. both you smell yes. something 
rotten. Yeah. And yeah. the second option is, you know, it's late, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And well, and, and look, that's a that's a really good point you just made, Joe. When you guys are looking for that animal, expect him to be alive. If you've not found him in a real good amount of time, expect him to be alive and be ready uh, with an arrow knocked up. So you guys, if y'all see him, you can get on him and put another one in him. You know, because uh, worst thing you want to do is walk up there and him jump up and stand broadside looking at you, and it takes you forever to get an arrow knocked up, and he walks out of your life forever yeah, yeah we had carry your bow with you <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely yeah. carry that's your a bow good with point you. that's yeah. a very good point absolutely yeah. and and or your rifle you yeah, know or your rifle. I, I had uh, a buddy of mine we had a bull knocked down and here's another thing i'm going to tell you guys now this is an animal we knew where it was this animal went down i mean boomed on the spot if you ever shoot an animal with a rifle and they drop just like in their tracks you better have another one loaded and be ready Reload. because most likely have spined that booger. And mm -hmm. uh, we were coming up to this bull, and my buddy, I look back, and he doesn't even have his rifle with him. I'm like, get your gun. He's like, well, it's dead. I said, get your gun. We come up behind it, and I tell him, okay, you got one inside. Go up and poke him right on the back end there. He pokes that booger, and that bull jumps straight up with wheels turning, Ooh. man. I mean, I'm telling you, it got western really fast. Oh, man. yeah. So, I mean, he ends up shooting that bull point blank with the rifle right there as that bull gets up to start running away. But, man, I, there were two guys that I know of. One was gored this year, and another one died from tracking yes. a bull that ended up uh, charging him and, and getting him in was, the neck. I was actually in Oregon. In Oregon, yes, sir. Yeah. So you know you you have to you have be to ready. do that man be yeah, ready for safety err on the side of safety and caution man when you approach these animals you need to make sure they're dispatched absolutely be ready if they aren't look i mean <clears throat> this year when i shot my bull i knew my shot was a little bit high uh but we heard the bull fall down we heard him gurgling uh we gave him a little bit of time joe actually went down there and said well, this is where he was standing, and he turned and looked, and the bull's feet up, you know, 40 yards from him. So it was a lot of jubilation. But at the end of the time, at the end of time, I knocked another arrow, and we walked up on him like he was going to be alive on Joe. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. we we wasn't taking anything for granted. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, it was a pretty easy tracking job, and uh, pretty easy. <clears throat> Uh, to get to him, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, these animals are so big and they can hurt you permanent. Uh, and you got to respect that uh, they can really take a licking and keep on ticking. They're like the best Timex you've ever seen. So, guys, how, how long would you say, how long would you say you could look for an animal? How long would you say to look for him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on the time of the day, uh, Joe, I think, you know, if you shoot an animal in the morning, uh, you know, depending on where you hit him and stuff like that. I mean, you look for him all day. Absolutely, yeah. I oh, mean, till you till dark. Luis, you looked at for yours uh, for two days well, there, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about one other thing, Joe. Uh, when you have that opportunity, what the? Uh, here in Texas, we have guys that have dogs, and his oh, archer. Yeah. There's a great here. point, man. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. Here in archery country in South Texas. It's thick, and Joe and Chav can attest, attest oh to how thick yeah, it is. For sure. 
Yeah. And when you arrow a deer or a hog, it will test your metal in going in there at, in all the wee satch, wahia, mesquite. I mean, it's all got now, thorn. Okay, so you said the word thick, and you yeah. gave some names. And to people like me and Chav, those names don't mean crap. But I just want to tell everybody, <laughs> if you want to walk through razor wire and barbed wire and stakes sticking up out of the ground and people dropping needles all over the place uh, where you're not able to get your arm through a hole without getting stuck, poked, prodded, and hurt and bleeding. Uh, this is what we're talking about in this yeah. place, man. It's super, it's super tough to hunt, uh, but it's doable in here in texas where there's a few outfitters out oh, here and then you have poisonous snakes poison yeah highly po highly venomous <laughs> snakes uh in various types too yeah. I mean, not just your uh, the four worst kinds yeah the four worst kind of pit vipers I, i've find. i've been in thick stuff before this yeah. this this does not fit the term thick. This is ridiculous. This is this Jones is tunnels. I'm not tunnels. going in there unless yeah. I want to die type of stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's just tunnels yeah, and brush. It's, it's tough yeah. stuff. Yeah. But I've got a friend of mine that I know well owns a business here and he has some of the best dogs, tracking dogs, yeah, uh, in the world. And here in Texas, these big bucks, they garner big dollars. And even in our lease agreement where I hunt, if you wound a trophy animal, you are required to call a dog and come in and look for him if you can't find him. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. Uh, they want that animal recovered. And a lot of what we hunt are high fence ranches and stuff like that. So he's not leaving the ranch. Uh, I can tell you that. He's going to be on that ranch. And I can tell you that I have worked for several outfitters guiding that have Jack Russells or you know, some type of tracking dog, uh, walker hound or something. And they are phenomenal tools at recovering animals. Bill Watson at South Hills Ranch hunted that ranch from 1989 to 2004. Only bow hunting, only bow hunting. They never, and I mean zero, lost animals with a bow and arrow. Because yeah, of their incredible because of tracking their dogs. dogs, right? Yes, yeah. sir. If yeah. you shot him through the back leg, that dog was going to get him. And they put bells on these dogs, okay, the loud bells, and they turn the dog loose, and you hear the bell, ding, 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 ding. Now they have GPSs. Back then, we didn't have those. Ding, 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 ding. And if the dinging quits, the dog's on the dead deer or dead hog or dead axis or whatever we're hunting. It's it's on him. But if the dog opens up, the deer's alive right now the chase is on because the dog will never give up on the deer the deer will flat faint before the dog's going to give up on him <laughs> that's how that's how unbelievably uh tenacious these tracking dogs are right and it's in the heat down here now i'm talking i've seen these dogs go two three hours you know and 12 miles on a track you know on a deer that's hitting the right leg or you know, or a nail guy that's hitting the butt. I mean, it's amazing. So, so if if I had the choice between a pack mule and a tracking dog, uh, and, and I was heading to the the Western Mountains, um, mm -hmm. 
I, I'd be putting my money in a tracking dog. And, and one absolutely, yeah. there's the mule is going to come back with nothing if you can't find the animal. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. 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 I just our to our listeners, there may be local people there that have that available. Like I know Scott Dixon down here at Dixon Dog Recovery. I'm telling you right now, I think Scott charges a hundred bucks to show and two fifty if he finds. And, you know, I mean, and to any of our listeners out there in the western states that you do have tracking dogs in areas, um, if if you want to send us your name, number, yeah. list, address, business, we'll we'll post you on our website because yeah. anything that helps people to recover animals is something that we would like to, you know, uh, you can put your fees on there, what your costs are, you know, whatever. But like I said, I I think. I think that's a, a heck of a deal to have sometimes, man. We, well, we, it, it definitely I, can be in your arsenal and help you when there's a marginal shot or whatever. And I'm telling you, a dog is not going to miss. Well, had, we, had I had a dog with my buddy um, for that one animal, we'd have found him before he went bad. And definitely. I mean, I found the animal because I followed my nose, but it was bittersweet because the meat was already going on it. Okay. Definitely. So when we talk about how long do you look, guys, again, this we're talking about ethics and we're talking about due diligence. You doing your due diligence to be able to recover that animal. And a lot of times that's going to have to do with how hot it is and the amount of time. And, you know, um, it, it can be different for an animal that's gut shot. You can continue to hunt that animal. And there's, you know, so that is the thing I tell you is take a lot of pride in the fact that you do everything that you can to be able to recover that animal. That's why I tell you, take a lot of pride in that. Now, there's going to be a time, uh, and if you spot an animal that's got that wound, and, and this, I have buddies that did that this year, hit an animal, hit it in the brisket, found that animal still working cows later on, man. The animal was fine. At that point, he knows that animal's fine. He's done a good do a job with that. And, and then there's always the question as well, you know, from that, do you punch or not punch your tag and here this is coming from the elk bros here's what we're going to tell you that's like somebody asking me what is the 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 distance that should be that they should only shoot an animal with and i'm telling you to thine own self be true if you are somebody that's hunting to put and it is important for you to put that meat in your freezer for your family and you have done your diligence and you've tried to get that and you still have to put meat in that freezer for your family, you are hunting to do that. So I, there's no way I can tell you not to continue mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're somebody that feels strong, strongly enough that you had your opportunity and you feel like you should punch your tag, then you do that. But all of us need to do that on our own personal basis and, our, and, and not put it on other people because we do not walk in their shoes and we don't know what they've done so uh i mean there's some people that feel like hey man when you when you're off sometimes you need to get back on the horse there's a lot of reasons for both each side of that and i've heard all the arguments for that but i don't want it to be an argument we are a community we have to support each other and you know why when and how you should do something and as long as you're asking yourself those questions and you're being true to that and you're honoring the hunt and honoring the animal to the best of your ability you make that judgment 
and you live with that judgment. It's mm -hmm. not for me to decide. So I, I'm sorry. I just got on my soapbox. No, man, it's all good. <laughs> I Joe. like it. Uh, yeah. I, I like it. I think, you know, our listeners are going to identify with it. Um, you know, we've said this a thousand times that ain't nothing going to go to waste in those woods. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Right. Uh, the bears and the coyotes and everybody Absolutely. else are going to get fed. Now, we're not saying that, that we're taking joy in understanding that, but no. at the end of the day, you can do everything right and some things just don't go your way. Uh, we have done our level best here at Elk Bros to give you the content that you need to understand the anatomy of this animal and to really dive in and understand how to put these critters down. There is a spot that if you can get it in there, I'm telling you, you're not going to have these episodes. Because uh, I'm going to tell you like an old man told me that's a heck of a daggum outfitter and guide. I told him I put it in the pocket and we were looking for an hour and a half for that deer. And he told me <laughs> I needed to get that shit out of my head Keep right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get that out of your head right now. You did not hit that animal in the pocket or we wouldn't be looking for him for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and when the dogs finally found that deer, he was 100% right. I got half of the back of one lung and all the liver. And uh, it took us about six hours and we found that deer. I thought I hit him right in the pocket, but the deer spun. If I got to thinking about it, I know the deer was, at, you know, rotating. And uh, that's what happened. That or I hit a little bone and it shifted my arrow one way or the other. So you guys, man, it, I think the most important thing, Joe, is after the shot you assess what you have if you got real good frothy pink blood right and plenty of it and you got your arrow to inspect y'all wait your one to two hours before you go find your animal right and, and you won't ever bump him if you got real dark red blood and you know the shot was back and suspect Let's go for that six to eight hour set, yeah. right? And cautiously and, with that. I mean, you've got, 100%. You've got to hunt that animal at that hunt point. Him, hunt right. him at six to eight hours, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And going slow, moving in on him. Mm -hmm. And if you know the shot was back and punch, you smell your arrow and you got that sweet stench that we've all smelled. Uh, it's a 12 to 24 hour deal, man. Uh, those are three little simple rules that if you guys live your tracking life by, I think it will simplify things for our listeners, brother. And, Joe, and, but, and don't, but a quick question. Uh -huh. So, yeah, this is all the things that you can do to kind of help you recover that animal. Right. Um, but look, if, 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 you're, if you're an experienced hunter, if you're in the path of becoming a hunter, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to walk through more experiences and more experiences. And at some point, you're going to live through something that don't make sense. You're not going to be able to find that animal. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and I got a master's degree on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, I'm not proud of it, but right. at the same time, it's taught me so much about you know, the it, feelings behind it, the roller yeah, coaster of emotions. Absolutely, and, man. And, 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 and being okay with myself and understanding that I'm doing the right things. And, and Joe, you've watched me track animals forever, being on my knees and right. just, you know, chasing animals. So, you know, it, it's, 
you have to make peace with yourself that at some point nature simply doesn't want you to recover that animal and 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 you just have to learn from that experience and make yourself even better every time you can do everything right and crap can go wrong and you're going to have to understand that as a hunter you're trying to kill something that's trying to survive and uh, and I got news for you. There are efficient and inefficient predators, just like there are efficient and inefficient hunters. Yep. And what I mean by that is efficient hunters do their best to be as close as possible and, and, and maximize that opportunity, opportunity rather than taking marginal stuff and, and maximizing the chance to lose an animal. That's when you right. become inefficient. The more distance you put between you and the animal, the, the, the less attention you pay to angles, the, the more you don't practice with your equipment, the more you don't make sure you have the proper equipment. Each of these um, failure points in there make you more and more inefficient and set you up for this to happen. So, yes, you're right. You have to have that conversation with yourself. You have to understand that, yes, I can lose an animal. You got to tell yourself that. Okay. Mm -hmm. You got to have that conversation. You got to be real with that. But then you have to do everything you can Possible. to prove yes. yourself wrong. Okay. Right. And, yep. and that, that's what I tell is, 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 you know, don't be an inefficient hunter. Be efficient. Understand what it takes to put that animal down and do your best. And if you at the end of the day can say, I did my best, and, and you can look, I mean, I can be That's 20 life. yards on an animal and something go wrong. Sure. I mean, I can hit a twig, branch, you can turn right as Seen I mean, it. hit a tree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've never be seen that happen before. But, but, but I have. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, don't lie to yourself either, yeah. too, man. Don't yeah. don't go and because you don't see blood in the first ten yards, equate that with a miss. You yeah. got to do your diligence to check that trail on that animal and make sure because sometimes that blood doesn't come out for a bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, oh, no or, doubt. Or, or tell yourself if that animal went uphill that, oh, he's going to be fine, you know, or, yeah. you know, because that moment he, you pull that moment, you pull that trigger, have full ownership on that shot absolutely. And, and, then, and then start, start doing your due diligence and, and you, you deserve it. The animal deserves it. And yeah. uh, as a hunter, you're going to be a much better for it. And Very understand so. it's, it's, it's a journey. It, you know, you know I had, I had such good teachers, man, such good coaches about three years ago, I had one of my little angels sitting on my side and uh, he called out the yardage and it was getting late. He called out the large and it was a, it was a long shot and uh, I, I touched it off. It felt really good. It looked like it was going to be a little high because it was a long shot. But when that arrow hit home, that bull ran out in the middle of a, of a big thicket and another bull that was with him came out on the other side and he never came out. Well, Chad was like, well, there were two bulls standing there, right? I said, yeah. He goes, well, another one didn't come out. I said, I know it. And then I could hear some, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, Chad, I think the bull's down. Well, we didn't even go look for the arrow. I said, I, I can't tell where it hit. I don't know where it hit. Let's mm -hmm. just back out and let's go eat dinner. 
you know, let's go get the guys and go back. We didn't even look for my arrow. We just turned around, eased back down the trail and came back to camp and came and got you guys. And look, that bull was dead as a hammer. Right. I mean, he was never going to get up ever again. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know exactly where the arrow hit, Joe. Right. So, And I heard him gurgling, but man, I'm not going to push an animal that's that talented and that gifted of an athlete unless I know he's... He's DRT, right? So Chad yeah. and I backed out of there, came and got the crew, and uh, holy smokes, man, uh, walked in there, and the arrow looked like he dipped it in a bucket of red paint, and the bull's about 45, 50 yards from from that area tipped up. And But again, man, guys, I've learned so much. Those animals, you can ask Joe, my hunting has been who a series of events the first Absolutely. three and a half years of me hunting. So yeah. uh, learned so much. My daughter, I've said this a thousand times, my daughter actually showed me where I need to be shooting these bulls, knock them down quick. She shot a bull that died in 17 seconds. And mm -hmm. I'm like, holy smokes, man. I did a whole picture and how to, you know, oh my gosh, why right there? And when she hit him, blood flew out of him immediately. And uh, what we've come to realize is there's just a big globule of big vessels in their arteries that when you hit in that station, whew, it's lights out, you know, yeah, absolutely. guys go back and look at our, our anatomy podcast. It's the best I've ever seen. Yep. I've, and you know, guys, this is always a tough conversation to have, but I, I think, um, I hope we've given you listeners some tools and we've given you something to think about and we hope that you have those conversations and, uh, and, and you need to have them with yourself and you need to talk about those things ahead of time so that you're just not beating the crap out of yourself when it does happen You and, and feel lost. You need something so that you feel a little bit empowered and you can do other things, man. You can, you can track animals without having to have blood. I mean, it's kind of like hunting elk without hearing bugles. You just got to use your eyes, ears, and your nose, right? Like they're there. Yeah. Yeah, and, they're uh, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So um, you can still be a hunter and find a downed animal. All right, um, and we want to wish you the best of luck of that. Let's guys, let's um, let's go to before we get out of here. Let's get a couple of these knocked out. I mean, every time I think we're going to have a short uh, little uh, <sighs> uh, topic, it doesn't go so short. But um, we're going to go to Elk Bros Mailbox. What's all your storytelling, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the pot calling the kettle black? Hey, Chad, the one from Kevin Orcutt, will you, uh, will you read that one for us, man? I don't have that up, Joe. Oh, you don't have it? Okay. Uh, I got, got it right here, Joe. You got oh. it, Luis? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah so Darren White, Vancouver, No, Washington. it's going to be Kevin Orcutt. We did Darren last oh, I'm time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There you go. Hey, uh, so Kevin Orcutt, Union Grove, uh, Wisconsin. Yep. Hey, guys, I am a big fan from Union Grove. Grove, right? Yeah, yeah. Grove. Wisconsin. I'm sorry. Thanks for all the great content. I'll be hunting the 3D season in Colorado this fall. Can't wait. This is my second elk hunting trip and my first do-it-yourself DIY. I have a question about knives. Do you take multiple knives with you to quarter an elk or do you use uh, one knife with a sharpener? Uh, will one knife without a sharpener be enough? What is the best tactic? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, all of the above. <laughs> man uh you know i'm uh, if you don't mind me jumping into this one I uh, Joe, um, I, there's there's two knives that you guys introduced me to so beto introduced me to um Havilon. the uh, oh, what's the what's the 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 Havilon and then and then Joe you g actually gave me a gift for Christmas uh, last outdoor year, edge. the outdoor edge knife right. so yeah. both knives are great basically what you're talking about here Kevin is a knife that you have replaceable blades for uh, it comes extremely handy in the field. Look, you know, it might take you two blades to kind of clean one elk, right? Or uh, you can use a sharpener with that as well. You can, yeah, you can, sh yeah, yeah especially the outdoor edge one, right? Uh -huh. But, yeah. you know, out of the two, and I'll be honest, out of the two, I like outdoor the outdoor edge. edge a little better yeah, because um, it's, it's, it's a little bigger. It, it fits your hand a little better. Yep. And uh, also replacing the blades is more user friendly. You just got a simple button that you you know you press and pull it out, and then just put the other blade back in. And because uh, and because of the backbone system on the outdoor edge, you don't have yes. the problem with the blades breaking like you breaking do. Breaking so one. much, okay. breaking so much. Yeah, but yeah. both are extremely sharp, and they will definitely get the job done for you. But if you get the Havilon, you just kind of be got to be careful because, like Joe said, it breaks the the blade easily breaks and all. Also, um, it's uh, it's hard. You can get cut replacing the blades because of the system. It just kind of has to. You have to bend it in and push it in. And and not only that, you've got to have um. You have to have a system for what to do with those blades after you take them off. You usually, take one out Good of a point. sheath. You know, put the other one back in the sheath. And I like to keep a a small foldable um, type of uh, uh, pliers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a little handyman, but a little light one to be able to take those on and off. And and really, Luis is right with the outdoor edge. It's not as difficult, but I don't like my fingers being on blades like that. So I would rather do it with that. And if something gets in it, that way I'm, I'm using that. And make sure you take care to put those sharp blades back in those sheaths and wrap them up. I always keep extra uh, small Ziploc bags inside my pack as well as mm -hmm. part of my kill kit yep. um, and I'll keep some clean cleaning stuff in with that and some paper towels and I like to wrap those blades even though they're in the sheath in that paper towel when I'm done yeah. putting them in that and I also like to take my my uh, knife my outdoor edge knife and put it in one of those bags because mm -hmm. it keeps that blood still damp so it's easier to clean when I get back to camp and it doesn't yeah. get all over my pack as well so so, Baby yeah. wipes, guys, I'm telling you right now. Keep them in your pack. They come in handy for other things. Uh, also, if you if you have a plastic water bottle that's already empty, um, yes. it's also it's also a good place to store the, those used blades. blades. But, yeah, yeah, definitely those replaceable blades, man, um, I think they do the trick. Uh, you get, again, on a big elk, you may get up to three blades, but, uh, but they, we they're sharp. Too. Yeah, one have yeah. on blade, you can, one big blade. But they yeah. stay sharp, and they're super sharp. Now, be careful, because they're surgical <laughs> sharp. <laughs> they really Absolutely. are. Absolutely, and really and are. and when and also as far as that, not only careful with yourself. 
but um, always know who's around you when you guys are doing that, mm -hmm. what yeah. hands are around you, because, yeah. I mean, uh, you can be pulling up and take out yeah. somebody's arm. So, Man, no um, doubt. And you can be, it's late at night and you're tired and wore out. You've done, done three of these in the last two days and mm -hmm. you late, you know, I mean, it's dark and everything else, you, you're trying to quarter him out to get him More out than once I've out. cut I, myself with I call it. A, I call it a, rattlene a rattlesnake strike. Man, yeah. when I see somebody working a knife, I look at that at their hand and where they're working just like I do a rattlesnake. How far mm -hmm. can that come out from where they're at and catch mm -hmm. me? And I don't want to be in that area because they get tired. All it takes is a little slip like that. Exactly. So, hey, Gilbert, why don't you get the yep. next one from Mike Bozarth from Payette, Idaho. Sounds good. Man, Mike, we appreciate you giving us a— uh, Mike's uh, awesome. Wait till you hear. I've got some great <laughs> yeah. stories on Mike. <laughs> For real. Uh Mike Bozarth, Payette, Idaho. I guess that's how you say it, huh, yeah, Joe? Payette, I guess. Uh, Payette, Idaho. He says, hey, guys, love your content, attitudes, and brotherhood. I got a quick question that I'm sure has been asked before, and it's one of those weak spots that I'm trying to work on. It's really easy to get dependent on a rangefinder, <laughs> and even at obviously close distances. I've no shot before because I've not shot before because I've either had not had time to range or it seemed wrong when I did and like ultra steep angles with a compensated rangefinder then afterwards I check and shoot and it was it was right <laughs> you know he says anyway I was wondering what training if any do you guys do to guesstimate yardage on the fly I know a lot of folks don't rely on them but I'm one of the many that do thanks and keep it coming mike yeah I, i've been I, i've been I, I know how he feels that's yeah and I'm, I'm gonna tell you i watched i watched our you know one of our brothers get hung in that dad gum rangefinder two times this year and uh for me i'm gonna tell you mike this is kind of you know joe doesn't use rangefinder joe is an instinctive shooter and he's very good at judging distance uh I will tell you that a lot of places we hunt in narrow corridors, like the shot I made, it was difficult to judge that distance because you're shooting down through a narrow corridor. So things look a lot closer than they really are. Uh, for me, I usually miss under. So I, my bow shoots a little bit high uh, all the time. So when I when I grab my rangefinder, I range that I range the furthest area away from me that I'm going to shoot, which is 70 yards. And then I want to know immediately where my 40-yard range is, right? So I'm looking to range 40 yards, 50 yards, 60 yards, 70. 70 is about my max, what I'm going to shoot. So I want to know where I feel like 30 and in, I can judge that all day long. I don't need help with that. But in some of those corridors, 40, 50, 60, 70 is where I need help at. So 30 and in, I could actually probably use my 20-yard pin where I shoot, and I'm going to be okay, up or down. So for me, it's about knowing where that 40 yards is. So now I'm just looking for those objects that are 40 yards away from me. And when that animal crosses inside of that, I don't need the rangefinder anymore, right? I know that he's inside that 40 yards. Now it's just me guessing. And that's is he 30 and or go ahead that's when you have time to kind of you see the ball coming and you got time to range stuff around you and give yourself mm -hmm. a mental map you well, know before you he shows up to the party right yeah. but if you don't have that 
you know, you know, some of the things that have helped me in the past, because look, I mean, Mike, I, I, I was been on the same boat and, and trust me still every once in a while, you know, I kind of doubt myself on understanding distances. So normally we all shoot and practice at 20 yards, right? Because of the space limits, space limitations and so on and so forth. So if you, if you really understand what 20 yards is in any environment, meaning sometimes in the wood may be a, a, a little bit, uh, um, you know, deceiving, but if you get that 20 yard mark, you can double it again and just kind of work your math back, right? 20 and okay, so 20 more is 40 and that's about 40. But something that really helped me a lot was um, I started doing some 3D shooting. Um, and, uh, you know, in some of the competitions in 3D, you don't, you don't, you can't use your range finder. So it kind of forces you to kind of stand there, look at the target, think of what your 20 would be and doubling that. And then you just kind of figure and give yourself. And the more and more you do that, the, the, the kind of easier it becomes. And then, Hey, you know, every once in a while, if, if you're just like working in your garage and your garage doors is open, you look outside and you're like, well, from here to that tree, uh, how much do you, you know, do I think it is? And just, you know, give it a guess and then range it and then mm-hmm. do that kind of play with that every once in a while. And, and, and it helps. That's something that's helped me personally. Now, how, how have you always guesstimated range? Well, that's probably one of my weaknesses, you know, um, generally, you know, I have a good feel for 30, you know, what I right. think is 30. Right. So, you know, I kind of uh, survey an area if I know something's coming in and if I can't range it with a range finder, you know, I try and approximate, you know, which objects or trees are at 30 and that gives me a pretty good idea. Kind of like uh, Lisa's doing 20 then. Right. Mm-hmm. 40 and 45, a little bit tougher, of course. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we do, you know, we do this when we practice, we'll, we'll get our half dozen arrows or whatever and just kind of throw them randomly around and then go to that spot and just turn and shoot the target, you know, real quick shot. So we're trying to build our instincts, you know, yep. uh, that way we're shooting from unknown distances instead of just going 30, 40, 50, 60, yeah. Yeah. we can go, you know, 33, I've, 41. I've know, seen like people that. take, take a rolling target or something like that and throw it like that again. Yeah. And like just yeah, we actually went, uh, well, fishing one time with our bows, remember? Yeah. Now, and that was just instinctive. You kind of just drew back and and led the fish, and you didn't know the distance, and, and that kind of cool. helps. I would tell you too, Mike. I don't. I'm not taking a shot if I don't. If past forty yards, if I don't know the distance on the animal, I'm not shooting at him. Right. You owe, and, it, you owe it to the animal to be ethical about what you're gonna do. You know. And, and for me. My bow 20 to 30 is going to be about four inches difference, right? Four and a half inches difference. I got that room 20 to 30. But when you get to 40 and 50, you're seven, eight, 10 inches difference. That's a, that's a problem when you're shooting at an elk. So for me, if I'm going to shoot past 40, I got to know the number. And this year I knew that the furthest point was 60. The, and the closest point where that bow could have walked out was 42. He walked out in the middle. I shot him for, I shot him for forty-five, fifty, and it was a little high. But he was fifty-seven. So, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you got a little bit of wiggle room, especially downhill. I used my forty-yard pin, and it was right where it needed to be. But I needed to know that distance, and if I'd have never ranged that distance, I wouldn't have known. 
you know, or if I'd have been looking at him the whole time, I'd have never been able to draw my bow back and get the shot off. So I, it's part of what you got to use in your, in your everyday planning too. And another thing you can do, Mike, is that, uh, that I've suggested some guys is that you can get yourself a target that is the general size of a bull mm. from yep. chest to back. Yep. And, you get at 20 yards and find out how that gaps on your pins. Like, you know, which of your pins would go on that belly and back yeah. on that mm -hmm. to tell you that distance and at 30 yards and at 40 yards, uh, because then your pins or area mm -hmm. on your bow or on your sight can actually become a range finder without having to use a range finder. Mm -hmm. So just by knowing how that that width of that animal's chest to back yeah. is it kind of helps you out with that that's also a, that's just great a you know uh yeah. there's something actually out there joe um that i've seen people use it's called the easy v site for right. for for the bow yep. and um it's a site that's got a v shape and then you kind of depending on the size of the animal you kind of place it within that easy v and it kind of helps your instinctive shooting super interesting concept um kind of been wanting to try but i just hate to you know start all over with a <laughs> with a new site but uh you know some people have found that to be a game changer for them so yeah, it might be something to i might look at a, at a pendulum site too a lot of these guys are going to these one pin pendulums or one pin dials well, see mike mike is um uh, i want to say he's in his early 60s just a little older than me and uh and you know, Mike, I know what kind of guy you are. And what I tell you is this. Go down to three pins and get out there and um, start shooting without your range finder. Mm -hmm. You know, do your shooting where you have your known distances. And like Chav said, then you're going to start throwing arrows. You're going to start stump shooting. You're going to do everything. And you're going to shoot a lot of arrows because you enjoy shooting. If it's not tearing your shoulder up or anything, have fun with it and uh, mm -hmm. and, and become better at the more you do that, the better you'll be at judging those, oh, yeah. you know, and being instinctive and, oh, and, yeah. and you'll feel a lot better. And, and I wouldn't go over 40 yards, man, if I'm used to using it, I'm using pins. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go over 40 yards. Like Gilbert says, you know, yeah. maybe not even over 30 yards. I mean, but in within 30, you know that and you're ready just to whack it. You don't have to think about it. Okay. Yeah. That's right. All yeah, right, look, man. I mean, the, the easiest thing is to have a range finder and somebody with you, like the baddest man in the planet, Joe Gilly, or, you know, <laughs> your angel on your shoulder, Ch Leroy Chavez. They're, they're clicking on the button, and they, they rattle it off to you. You draw, and <laughs> lights out Irene, right? So, cool, cool deal. <laughs> that was a good show tonight, man. I enjoyed it. Fellas, look, guys, like we've always said, if you like what we're doing, man, please rate, subscribe, and review us. Really important for us to get our YouTube channel where we need it to be. You guys go and subscribe to it. There's going to be some cool stuff coming out. I know you guys have heard us talk about it uh, for sure. These are really cool subjects that we're coming up with. They're very touchy because a lot of us have experienced this, and they're very personal to myself, Joe, uh, Manano, Luis. Uh, you know, I've been with Chav when we had a little episode, too. So, I mean, look.
look, we've all been there and done that. So from guys that, you know, we knock them down religiously, but man, we've all lived through it. So we, uh, our hearts are out with you. If you guys had that problem with you this year, you know, we've read some of y'all's stories. You guys, you know, take, take into consideration what we've talked to about tonight. Go back again. I can't say it enough and look at our podcast on Shop Placement. It's the best dad gum podcast out there in the world but you gotta view it on youtube because joe i mean he just draws it up so good with the anatomy part of it um you know if you have questions and you want us to answer them you guys go and send them in to info at elkbros.com that's info at elkbros.com amazing show tonight guys grandpa joe be good up there in Albuquerque <laughs> to your grandchildren. Chad, yeah, so great to see you tonight. And Luis, always a pleasure, my brother. And uh, like we tell all our Likewise. listeners, like we tell all our listeners, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Absolutely. Peace, y'all.